I'll tell you a little bit about them. The first trip was a five-day junior youth trip uh, that included 25 of us. And we drove to Edmonton and we camped tenting along the way. For some of them, it was their very first time tenting. It was lots of fun. We made it through one quite significant storm while tenting, which landed me in a laundry mat for three hours, washing and drying sleeping bags, clothes, and the towels that we used to mop up the puddles in the bottom of the tents the following morning. Um, our morning devotions during the trip were all taken from the book of Psalms and spoke of the majesty and beauty that we see all around us. Have you noticed that? It's incredible. The beauty of the stars at night and the scenery that we are so blessed to see during the day. It's so true that the heavens declare the glory of, the God, of God and the skies display what his hands have made. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He is the one who laid the foundation on the seas. I love the way David says it in the book of Psalms. He says, I tell myself, praise the Lord. There are for sure days that we probably all need to do that. We may not always feel great or life may have just taken a very unexpected turn for you. But I love David's advice to us in Psalm 103. You can find it there for yourself. Praise the Lord. I tell myself and never forget the good things that he has done for me. All in all, even through the wild storm, uh, which resulted in most of our campers sleeping in our church vans that night, um, and the swarms of, don't go, well, I won't say don't go to Drumheller. Drumheller is very cool. You should go to Drumheller, but take your, take your bug spray. There's millions of mosquitoes there. You think we have a bad in Brandon. They have mosquitoes. But all in all, it was a great trip, and it was a lot, a lot of fun. The second trip was an eight-day um, trip with the senior highs, and uh, we camped as well. This trip was a little different in concept. Uh, it was a mystery trip. The youth who braved coming didn't know where we were going or what we would be doing for the entire trip. I met with their parents prior to them coming, or prior to the trip, and gave the parents the itinerary, but the youth who signed up didn't really know at all what was in store for them. Um, amazing to me that they trusted us with those questions. Each day we started off with a devotion, um, then proceeded down the highway either to our next destination or to that day's activities, which none of them knew about. Even though they posed questions and received no answers, uh, which resulted in tiny bits of frustration here and there, overall, I think they actually loved it. I think the element of surprise became a very fun part of the journey. They actually stopped asking questions like, are we almost there yet? Um, uh, so where will we be spending tonight? And trying to sort of trick us into giving them some information ahead of time. They soon realized, one, we weren't going to answer any of their questions anyway, not those kinds of questions. And two, knowing the next step doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to enjoy what you're doing right now even more. It just means that you know where you're going next, that's all. While on the trip... We talked a little bit about how the trip, the whole idea of the mystery trip, parallels life in many ways. In many ways. Isn't life really just like a big mystery trip? So today I thought we could look at some of the comparisons and find life lessons through uh, the idea of life being like a mystery trip. Life lesson number one. Learn to enjoy the journey where you are right now. 
I think many times we miss so much of our present, what we're, what's in front of us right now, because we're so consumed with trying to guess or manipulate the future. Many times we are sure we need to know the next step because we may need to be prepared for what lies ahead. Many times we want the next step to be of our choosing, so we may need to even manipulate things a little bit to make it happen our way. The truth is, we don't really need to know tomorrow. We don't need to know what tomorrow will bring. There's nothing wrong with making plans for your future, don't get me wrong, but I think we as humans, we tend to push this right to the limit. We think we need to concern ourselves with every little detail so that tomorrow will be perfect to our understanding of what perfect may be. But what we forget is that God's ways are not our ways. As we submit to God's plan for our future, we can relax in his abilities and his wisdom and his care over us. Perhaps it's God's love and kindness that even prevents us at times from knowing the future. Maybe we don't need to know what tomorrow will bring. I believe God promises us, he promises us strength for today and we have his unending promise for strength for tomorrow and whatever tomorrow holds. It may be frustrating to us that we don't know what tomorrow holds, but perhaps that frustration would disappear a little bit if we just learn to be content with today. This is a good lesson for all ages, but quite honestly, I think it's a great message for, for parents with young children. Don't focus on tomorrow and wishing your child would quickly move through this stage. Tomorrow will have, trust me, its own challenges and trials. More importantly, don't miss what this stage has to offer. Enjoy the fun and the excitement of every new stage of learning. I say this with great admiration because I know the incredible amount of patience that ne- that's needed for some days. Just recently, my daughter Kristen told me how My grandson, Josh, is now at the age where he likes to empty shelves, empty shelves. Anything that is kind of within his reach, he likes to, for some reason, it looks better on the floor than on the shelf. I marvel at the great patience that parents have at this stage. And it's so great to know that God does equip us for what we need at every stage of life. Isn't that so good to know? Um. Matthew 6.25 tells us not to worry. And I know we know the scripture, we've read it, but sometimes I think we just forget to take it to heart. So the first few days of the trip had many questions, but eventually the questions died off. The youth, uh, they learned fairly quickly to enjoy the journey. They knew the final destination was back here in Brandon in eight days, And beyond that, they learn to enjoy every moment and appreciate the little things along the way. They learn to enjoy each other and the experiences that each day brought to them. What a great lesson for life. Let's learn to enjoy the journey. Find the blessings in your life where you're at right now. Appreciate the little things along the way. Life lesson number two. Trust the next step to the one in charge. I somehow doubt that we would have had youth sign up to come on the trip if they didn't know who the leaders were. I'm humbled and honored that they chose to trust the leadership team that we put together of this trip to make good choices for them. 
They made the decision to place each day of the trip and ultimately their lives in, the, in, uh, in our hands, not knowing what that would mean for them. They had no direction even... They had no clue even the direction that we were going. I believe this decision was based really out of our relationship with them, a relationship that is developed over months, possibly with some of them years. Uh, they've had, uh, they've over time built up this trust relationship with the leaders, and they were okay trusting us to make decisions and provide uh, opportunities that they would enjoy all along the way. At the beginning of the trip, they asked lots of questions, like I said, where we're going. And um, mostly um, they wanted to know where we were going because they wanted to know what they needed to be ready for that destination. We assured them that we would tell them what they needed whenever they needed something. For example, prior to visiting me at Hot Springs, which is just this side of Jasper, beautiful place, um, we told that we were at the campground. It was raining and cold that day. Kind of, well, a little bit cold, yeah. Like, not shorts weather, really. Um, but it had been raining for, I think it rained maybe 30-some hours straight there. Um, but we, we told them that they would need their swimsuits. They kind of thought we were crazy. They looked at us and like, okay. And I think they sort of thought that we were going to make them go swimming in a lake or something. Uh, and they'd freeze. And that wouldn't really be that terribly fun. But even though it was raining... Uh, we took them to the hot springs, and really, when it's raining, that's the best time to go to the hot springs. It's wonderful to sit in the hot pools while it's raining outside and misty and cool. It was just gorgeous. And that was the payoff. They, they chose to trust us and received a wonderful reward for it. Um, they discovered soon enough that at each stop, we would tell them, this stop, you just need your camera. Or this stop, you need this. And eventually, they they got with the program, and uh, it was wonderful. In between stops, I'd watch in the rearview mirror as we were heading down the highway, and I'd see them laughing and talking and and simply enjoying each other's company. They forgot about worrying about where our next stop was, and they just chose to enjoy the moment. It was great. I believe this is how God wants us. As well, I believe that God wants us to lay down the stress of trying to carry the weight of tomorrow when we have enough with today. The weight and heaviness of tomorrow actually usually ends up blocking out the enjoyment that we should have had from today. Years ago, I made the choice to trust my life into the hands of God and put him as the leader of my life. And that was the time that I needed to stop making plans um, planning my way through life. Many times I have to stop and remind myself of that because it's just so easy as human beings to pick it up and start making your way through life again. And I have to remind myself to lay down the stress that overwhelms us when we start thinking about what our life is going to be maybe a year from now or five years from now. What's it going to be like in retirement for me? It's a weird thought. Um, I don't have to know all that right now. That's the, that's the honest truth. I don't have to know all that right now. I choose to trust God. And trusting God means I let him steer me through life. Maybe you've heard the song, Jesus Take the Wheel. It's a story of a young mother traveling down, the, down a highway with a baby in the back seat. She hits a patch of black ice and the car swerves out of control. The song goes on to say she saw both their lives flash before her eyes. She didn't even have time to cry 
She was so scared. She threw her, threw her hands up in the air. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go, so give me one more chance to save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. I think the beauty for us as Christians is knowing whose hands are actually steering us down the highways of life. And why do we often feel like we have to confuse the situation by thinking that we have more insight than the only one who truly knows what tomorrow will bring? Does that mean that we'll never hit a bad patch on the road? I don't think it means that at all. I think letting Jesus have the wheel simply means he's the one steering us through the bad patches. Life lesson number three. Realize that everything has purpose and meaning. The youth probably were not even aware of this, but as a leader, I was constantly watching to see their reactions to things throughout the trip. I loved to see them enjoying the fun events, but I also loved even more watching them take a mundane moment and make it something special. I loved watching them make every moment count. I loved watching them make their own memories. How did they react when things didn't go as they guessed that they would? How did they react when the weather was not hot and sunny and beautiful and shiny and lots of there was maybe lots of mosquitoes instead. How did they react when we had to stop on the highway because we got held up? There was an accident ahead, and we sat there for quite a while waiting for them to clear the, the road ahead of us. As a leader who's looking for future leaders, all those things mattered to me. Many times in life, it's how we go through the situation that really matters. I was watching for their attitudes. I'm sure God is watching us and interested in our attitudes as well. I believe he's actually more interested in how we go through situations than even the situations themselves. How did we react when the driver in front of us slept through the green turning arrow and we missed it? How do we react when the person at the drive through window messed up our order yet again? Every time. How do we handle the loss of the job? or maybe even the loss of a precious loved one? How did we react when you fill it in? It could be any numerous thing. I believe God is watching our attitudes and how we react in many different situations in life. How we, how we react is an indication of our maturity. God cares about us, and he desires us to mature and grow and develop into leaders both here and for eternity. I believe the best marker of maturity is when things don't go the way that we thought they would and thought they should. Do we continue to trust in God? It's how we handle the big and little things that we didn't maybe see coming. First Peter 1.7 says, These trials are only here to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God blesses, this is from James, God blesses the people who patiently endure testing after they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Good to note in these verses, it uses the word tests. God 
tests us. He does not tempt us. God is at work within us trying to produce pure gold. Sometimes we're just not aware of what's really going on. I found it very interesting to watch the attitudes. Who picked up the garbage? Who picked up the dish towel without being asked? Who complained even when it was their turn? I believe is I believe God is constantly developing us and even the little things in our lives have meaning and purpose. Life lesson number four. Let your confidence be in the knowing of the final destination. The youth signed up for an eight-day mystery trip, meaning they had no idea where we're going, but they knew that our destination, our final destination, would be right back here. They knew that we were going to come back to Brandon where they lived. They knew what the destination was at the end of it. I highly doubt that any of them would have signed out without signed up to go if we didn't have an ending point, an ending destination. If we just left it blank and let them just fill it in, I don't think they would be okay with that. Uh, we can handle a lot of unknowns along the way if we know our eventual destination. I feel the same is true for life. Perhaps we need to fix our eyes on the destination and worry less in the journey. Don't be troubled, James 1.1 says, and trust God, or you trust God, now trust in me. There are many, oh, sorry, that's not James, that's Matthew 14, right? Matthew 14? John 14, that's what it is. John 14, don't be troubled. You trust God, now trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's home, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would have told you plainly. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know where I am going and how to get there. No, we don't, Lord, James, or Thomas said. We haven't any idea where you are going or how we, or, um, how we can know the, know the way. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Truth be known, I actually wanted to speak the entire message on heaven. Uh, it is probably my favorite topic to read about, think about, talk about. I love the whole idea of heaven. Uh, and I, I am speaking for myself when I say having heaven in my thoughts helps me focus more clearly on what this life is all about. I know sometimes this is not the case, and you've probably heard this little saying, and I've heard it also, so heavenly-minded, no earthly good. Uh, but I believe the Bible does tell us clearly that we, had, we are to have heaven in our thoughts as the final destination. It shouldn't ever mean, however, that we check out of life here. I think it's quite the opposite. With heaven in our thoughts, we should see life here all the more important we only have this time set in front of us to make a difference for all of eternity. Heaven gives me the push that I need to make it count today. Sometimes I wish it weren't even referred to as the afterlife, as we sometimes hear it referred to. Perhaps heaven and this life are more connected than we care to realize. The Bible tells us that we can be very confident about eternal life, we can be very confident about our final destination. First John 5.12 says, So whoever has God's son has life. Whoever does not have his son does not have life. I write this to you who believe in the son of God so that you may know 
you have eternal life. You may know. We can be confident about eternal life. In closing, um, you're going to say, in closing, wow, you just got started. The closing is a long closing, so hang in there. (laughs) But in closing, I'm just giving you hope. Um, One thing I love to do on on our youth trips is uh, I've done this periodically through the years on trips. Uh, I take a book and we read a book as we're as we're camping. And um, we did one on the junior high trip this year, and we also did one on the senior high trip. And um, I thought I'd finish up this morning by giving you a glimpse of what the senior high's uh, book was about a little bit. Um, it was called, it's, it's a book called Not a Fan, and um, written by Kyle Eidelman. And the question this book was attempting to answer was, what does it mean to really follow Jesus? That's a big question. Kyle starts the book by sharing the story from John 6 in the Bible. If you're not familiar with the story, Jesus is addressing a crowd of probably more than 5,000 people. Um, People who had heard all of the miraculous stories about Jesus, miracles that he was doing, and they came to check him out. They were following him around. Jesus teaches the the whole crowd for the day. And at the end of the day, he, um, of course, they're all starving because they've been there listening to him all day. And uh, this is the one, one of the times that he takes a few loaves and fishes and he feeds the entire crowd from a few loaves and fishes. The crowd is satisfied for the night. In fact, there's even leftovers. And um, they decide to hang out and hear more from Jesus the following day. When the crowd wakes up the next morning, Jesus and his disciples have gone over to the other side of the lake. The, the people throng over there. Uh, they, they, they're wanting to hear more from Jesus. And um, by the time they get over there, they're, I'm sure, starving again. Looking at Jesus as their next meal ticket, they get a different message this time. He tells them that he is the bread of life. In his words, he says, He who comes to me will never go thirsty, or sorry, never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Suddenly, Jesus is the only thing on the menu. And here's the results. John 6, 66 says, At this point, many of his disciples turned away, and deserted him. They didn't like what Jesus had spoken. What Kyle points out here is that Jesus didn't soften his message to make it more appealing, nor did he chase after the people that chose to leave. It doesn't seem to be the size of the crowd that was important to Jesus, but the commitment level of the crowd. In the first chapter of the book, we were challenged to DTR, and he explains that, that is a term referred to or used to describe a relationship. It, it means define the relationship. And some of you probably already know what that means because uh, maybe, you know, certain points in relationships, friendships that you've had, you've had to, you've come to the point where you've had to define the relationship. This is the official talk that takes place at some point in a romantic relationship to define the commitment level. Is this a casual or committed relationship? It's quite often a very uncomfortable discussion, but sometimes a very necessary discussion. So defining your relationship with Jesus, 
Is your relationship with Jesus exclusive? Is it a casual weekend thing? Or is it more serious than that? Are you a follower of Jesus? The book challenged us to recognize that at first glance, it may look like there are a lot of followers of Jesus, but perhaps instead of followers, some are simply fans. The basic dictionary, or dictionary definition of a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. It's the guy at the football game with no shirt on and his chest painted. It's probably the one shouting the loudest and cheering wild, wildly for his team. He may have a signed jersey at home, and he may even have the license plate, but he's never been in the game. He's never broken a sweat, and he's never taken a hard hit in the game. He knows all the players and where they come from, but he's never met one of them. He can yell and scream, but there's really no sacrifice that he has had to make for the game. And if his team has a few bad seasons, he may even change his loyalties and start going for another team. He's referred to as an enthusiastic admirer. He's a fan. It's the woman who faithfully watches her favorite TV show. She may know all of the actors slash actresses, their birthdays, their names, their real-life families, maybe. Um, she might know where they went to school, what their real hair color is, even if they don't. And um, truth is, she's never met the actresses. She's never met any of them. She doesn't know any of them. She's a fan. She's an enthusiastic admirer. In the book, Kyle goes on to say that Jesus was not interested in, the, in enthusiastic admirers, in fans. Jesus is interested in followers. Kyle even makes this statement. My concern is that many churches... This is Kyle's statement. I'm not sure that I disagree with it, though. My concern is that many churches have gone from being sanctuaries to being stadiums. And every week the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus, but have no interest in truly following Jesus. Wow. That's a heavy, right? I know. Throughout the book, he explores what a fan looks like and what a follower looks like by asking some very thought-provoking questions. We all started the book on the trip thinking, yay, we're followers. And as we got into it, we're like, whoa, maybe we need to recalculate some things because we're sounding a little bit like fans in some ways in our lives. Question number one. Is it a decision or a commitment? Most of us don't mind Jesus making some minor changes in our lives. But Jesus wants to actually turn our lives upside down. Fans don't mind Jesus doing a little touch-up work, but actually Jesus wants a complete renovation. Fans come to Jesus thinking, tune-up. Jesus is thinking, major overhaul. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus actually wants to interfere with our lives. Many fans have repeated a prayer or raised their hand at the end of a sermon and made a decision to follow Jesus, follow or to, or to believe at least. But there was never that commitment made to follow. Jesus never offered us an option or that option um, to just simply believe. Jesus was looking for far more than words of belief. He's actually looking to see how these words are lived out in our lives. When we decide to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him, we are nothing more than fans. 
He uses the story of Nicodemus in John 3. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and um, Nicodemus told Jesus he believed he was from God. But Jesus got right to the point with Nicodemus. He told him, funny response, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a respected religious leader. What was Jesus meaning by his response to him, you must be born again? What Jesus was really addressing was the fact that Nicodemus came at night. He could have come anytime, but he chose to come at night to kind of make a secret pact with Jesus that nobody else would know about. He knew he would be ridiculed by his colleagues for his beliefs, so he thought he'd come to Jesus in private and make that decision known to Jesus. But Jesus tells him straight out, that's not how it works, Nicodemus. Belief must bring about life change. Are you willing to be born again? Are you willing, Nicodemus, to become a new person? Question number two. Do you know about Jesus, or do you really know him? He explains in this chapter that the word know biblically refers to more than just knowing about someone. Its meaning is actually based out of um, knowing someone in an intimate way. Let's apply that kind of knowing to our relationship with Jesus. Can we recite the books of the Bible in order and quote several verses? Maybe. Um, But do we actually know him in our heart? When we sing songs speaking about his faithfulness or telling about the good things of God, are we singing nice words about him? Or do we sing these songs out of a true love and gratefulness in our hearts because we know this love in our lives? We know him. There is a difference. Question number three, is Jesus one of many or you're one and only? Question number four, are you more focused on the outside or on the inside? Pretending is something we may never grow out of. But somewhere along the way, it stops being a childhood game of make-believe and we start taking our pretending a little bit more seriously, a little religiously. As children, we may play pretend, but the problem Jesus had with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, was that they were professional pretenders. They got so caught up in this pretense um, that... All they could think about was following the rules and inventing more rules on how to be a good person. That off, that's also often um, describing the faith of a fan. On the outside, their fa- or, sorry, on the inside, their faith has actually grown cold, and um, and maybe is even dying. But they are determined to keep up the appearances on the outside. If the focus of your faith is on keeping a list of rules? I don't know. Or is it on the privilege and pleasure that's ours in having a real relationship with Jesus? Question number five. Are you a self-empowered fan or a spirit-filled fan? Or a spirit-filled follower, sorry. Fans who try to follow Jesus without his power will start to show signs of failure marked by frustration after frustration. You keep doing what you don't want to do, and you don't do the things that you really want to do, Romans 7. You promise others that you will change. Things will be different this time, you say. And this time you really, really mean it. But the changes rarely last more than a few days. 
You lie in bed at night and you promise to yourself, you will not lose your temper again. You will not lie to your parents or to your spouse again. You will not go on that website again. You will not, you will not, you will not. But it just doesn't work in our own strength. Life without the Spirit's help means we become overwhelmed with life circumstances. The author of the book sets a great stage for us to think through. Oh, I love this. He says that at times he's heard people say that they can't wait to get to heaven to meet some of the Old Testament patriarchs and and ask them what it was like to see God do the miracles that happened and hear God's voice audibly and, and see God move in such powerful ways. But he thinks it's going to be quite opposite when we get to heaven. Kyle thinks that, the author of the book, he thinks that King David, who as a young boy killed the giant... Goliath, he might come up to us and ask us, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, empowering you? Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, will ask what it was like to have God living inside of us, giving us joy when we're depressed and strength when we're done in. Moses, who led by a cloud in the day in a pillar of fire at night, will ask, what was it like to have God dwelling inside of you every day? What was it like to have the Holy Spirit giving you direction for life when you didn't know where you were going to turn? Isn't that a cool thought? Wow. I love that. Fans may have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The problem is they're not being filled with his Holy Spirit. Fans eventually burn out from trying to live the Christian life in their own efforts. Followers of Jesus understand that it's a journey we were never intended to make alone. We can learn to exhale the clutter from our lives and inhale new life in the spirit, in God's spirit, supernaturally giving us strength to face what today has and power that we need for tomorrow. We can inhale God's spirit. Question number six, does your life resemble what you say you believe? Matthew seven twenty one. not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. This, the decisive issue is whether they obey my father in heaven. A fan may say, Lord, Lord, we don't like this scripture very much in the Bible. So, so it's, it's hard to understand. And it's hard to figure, like, I hope I'm not in that group, you know, or whatever. But a fan may say, Lord, Lord, but a fan doesn't live, Lord, Lord. A belief is more than what we say. James says that faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. So to sum things up this morning, the Bible teaches we we are saved by grace. By the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. God alone is able to keep us from falling. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But the Bible also teaches that there will be those who think they are saved, but are not. They will live their lives with a false assurance of faith. They will think of themselves as followers, but a day will come and they will be pronounced as nothing more than fans. That is so sad. Jesus' invitation is to all. Come, 
follow me. Live life with me. Know me and be known by me. He reaches out to each one of us with grace and love and invites us all to follow him. This morning, the invitation is to be a follower of Jesus. Let's allow God to teach, to search our hearts and teach us what it means to follow him and strengthen our hearts as we choose this day to be fully committed to him. Life is a mystery. This journey has many mysteries. But God will give us everything that we need when we commit our lives to follow him. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that you equip us with everything that we need to be effective for you. That's what your word tells us. We do not have to worry about what tomorrow holds. There are many mysteries that we walk through in life, and we walk through times, and sometimes we don't even know the meaning of what we just walked through. But God, you are in control of all things. And we can trust you. And all you're asking of us is that we simply follow you. That we take a hold of your hand and walk through life with you. That we let you take a hold of the steering wheel and steer us down the highways of life. We don't have to answer all the questions. We don't have to have all the answers. You know. God, I thank you today for the privilege that is ours simply being your followers. Help us to be more than fans that cheer you on and know about you. God, help us to truly live life with you, hand in hand with you. I thank you for that, God, this morning. And I I thank you, God, that um, you wanted to speak something special to each one of us this morning. That's something I could never do but I know your Holy Spirit can do that. So I thank you for taking the word this morning and applying it to every heart here in the way that we need to hear from you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.